welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. As the show said, I'm your host, Jason Pereira, and today is the second part of the continuation of a series I am doing on understanding your financial statements and some of the data that comes off of that. So if you missed the last episode, it was a very basic uh, review of what is involved or what the different accounts in your income statement and balance sheet mean. Now that is done. And for most people, the income statement and balance sheet is pretty much what they look at and typically what's more or less basically um, given to them by their accounts. So that makes sense. But today we're going to move on to a couple of other reports, ones that are less common, but very important. And this is all have to do with cash flow. Okay. So what we're looking for is the, frankly, the cash flow statement. This is again, not required for tax purposes, but every accounting software should be able to basically uh, should be able to do uh, to to produce one of these. So, what is a cash flow statement? A cash flow statement gives you an understanding for essentially what happened to the cash in your company and how you got from the starting position at the beginning of the year to the end position at the end of the year. And really, there are three different categories of operational changes or changes within the business that will basically impact your cash. And what this does is it breaks down all the changes that impacted your cash into three areas. And here's the real, the real um, the crux of it. It explains the change in basically every account on your account, on your balance sheet. What do I mean by that? Well, every account on your balance sheet changed between the beginning of the year and the end of the year. Money was spent on those areas. Money was deducted on those areas. Money, sometimes um, things like depreciation and whatnot were taken off, even though they weren't cash. But this is basically an explanatory document that explains what happened to the cash and how what not only what happened with the cash account, but also how did it impact everything else. So the first area that the cash flow statement looks at is operating cash flow. So this very straightforward is simply the changes in your income statement and balance sheet that came by way, sorry, about well, income statement in a second, that came, fix that part. The changes in your income statement and balance sheet that came by way of operations. So first thing, and the one item that typically accounts for most of the income statement is revenue. So how much revenue did you bring in, right? So what were your sales? From there, things like cash expenses from sales. So cost of goods sold or services rendered, other expenses and overhead, processing fees, you name it. Basically, they get subtracted as well as any tax you actually paid, not accrued, but paid. You can add back other income. So if you had income from interest, for example, on deposits being held, that gets added back. So that is the first part. It's, hey, what happened on the income statement to change this in terms of operations? The second piece then goes on to what happened to working capital. So you may recall working capital was basically your accounts receivable and your accounts payable. And essentially, the way this works is the next section is we're going to subtract, we're going to add back any changes to accounts payable. Because if your accounts payable went down, that basically results in you having basically converted more of your accounts payable to cash. So therefore you increased your cash and vice versa. So if your accounts payable, basically you're going to add it back. And the reason is because if you haven't paid those bills, you still have the cash on hand or your, your cash balance hasn't been reduced by the, by that expense. So it basically will you know, any expansion of accounts payable is positive to your net cash. 
any basically uh, any reduction is negative. Also the change in current liabilities. So any other liabilities you have for the year, if you increase that, that increased the amount of cash that came into the business. If you decreased it, vice versa. So that's the liability side. On the asset side, if you, it's the opposite. So if you had an increase to your accounts receivable, that means that more people owe you money and did not pay you the cash they owe you. So that is reduced. And basically then conversely, if it's the opposite, it's subtracted. So accounts, any increases to accounts receivable, inventory, work in progress, which is basically work being done that is taking raw materials into, into inventory available for sale and any other changes to current assets are all negatives. So to quickly sum this up, first section of your operating cash flow changes, revenue minus cost of sales, expenses, add back and taxes, add back any other income. So that is, hey, this is what the income statement says happened in terms of the cash position. Then you go to the accounts payable section. So you go to the accounts payable section, you subtract out, you add back any increases to accounts payable because, hey, you're using somebody else's liability. You're someone else's a, as a debt facility. So that means you haven't paid it. That increases your cash. And then conversely, your current uh, accounts or your, and conversely, your current assets, you would then basically subtract out any increases to those because those are basically expanding. And that is that is stuff that should be converted to cash once it's all processed. So it's a reduction. So that is the operating cash. Well, that tells you how much cash your general operations and just doing business created. So the second section is cash flow from investing activities. So this reflects any investments you made in your business. Specifically, what it's really looking at in particular is the fixed asset component of your business or your balance sheet. So were there any capital expenditures? Did you acquire any equipment, any property plan and equipment? Forget about depreciation. What did you pay for it? Did you acquire any intangible assets? And really what they're looking for is the net change to any of the non-current assets. So anything that is not an asset that can be cashed out inside of 12 months or was is liquid in, is liquid in short order, basically that is your current, that is your non-current assets and or known as your fixed assets. Did they increase? If they increased, it took cash to increase them. If they decreased, it took it basically resulted in less cash or more cash being on, available on hand. The third and final area is the cash flow from financing activities. So the financing activities, now we move over. So what have we done here? We've done the income statement at the beginning, the current assets, the current liabilities. Those are all part of operating cash flow. The changes to fixed assets are part of investing. And now the changes to the owner's equity and liabilities represent the changing changes to financing. How was all of this paid for? So specifically, did you issue any new debt? If you issued any new debt, that new debt increases, of course, the cash on hand. Did you pay off any long-term debt? That reduction basically results in a lower amount of cash. Did you receive any new shares? Did you sell any new shares? Was there any kind of owner's equity that came into the business? Yes or no. And then conversely, did you redeem any shares? And also, basically, you also have dividends. Were any dividends paid? They don't show up on the income statement. They don't show up in the balance sheet, but they basically are definitely a cash expense. So those are the big areas. So you typically, and of course, you have net interest after, this is net interest for investment activities after tax, which goes here as well. So essentially what was involved on the fixed liabilities or the the non-current liabilities and what was involved in the owner's equity? That gets summed up here. So to recap, first section, operating cash flow, revenue minus all the costs associated with that revenue, 
minus the taxes plus any other income, that's your revenue from operations. You would basically add any increases to current liabilities because that's using someone else's money to finance your operations. And you subtract any increases to your current uh, current assets because that is you financing those operations. That is your net operating cash flow. Second section, the changes, the 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 oper- the cash flow from investment. And that is, again, changes in, in the asset sheet. And that is, again, changes in the fixed asset section of your balance sheet. Then investing is the liability and equity side of your balance sheet, where the changes there. And of course, dividends issued. When you total up all three numbers from these sections, the difference should equal the equivalent of the change in value in your cash balance over the course of the year. So that's what this tells you. Why is this important? Why? Because the income statement tells you about stuff that is also not cash, like depreciation and amortization. That's in there. Well, that's not a cash expense to you. Also, it doesn't really reflect if there was changes in your payables or collectibles terms, which basically, if you take longer to pay things, you have more cash on hand, vice versa, the other way around. If you take longer to receive things, you have less cash on hand, vice versa, the other way around. So it doesn't really explain what happened with the cash in the business. And why is this important? It's important because cash is the lifeblood of a business. I had said previously in the last episode that cash is like water. You know, you can drown from too much of it. No, not really. It's just not healthy. And at least in the case of business, but you can definitely die without enough of it. And cash being the lifeblood, you can be totally profitable, but you can have negative cash flow. Why? Because a simple example, if you're if most, let's imagine a very simple, impractical example. Let's say I bought things today that I sold tomorrow and I had to pay my vendors in 30 days, but I didn't collect for six months. I have a negative cash conversion cycle. That is the amount of time it takes for me to transform a sale into actual cash in the bank account. So this this cash conversion cycle idea we're going to come back to later on when we talk about ratios. Ratios are going to be another episode and ratios, accounting ratios and calculations, where you take one number divided by another or any number of things. And essentially we calculate some data that if you are not educated on what these ratios actually mean, you don't have context. But I'm going to give you context in the next episode. But essentially, these ratios are ways to study the trends in your business and the health and extract other information that you didn't actually think was available on there. But we're going to go over that later. So cash is really important. Now, let me go back to, the, to beating up on this. In the previous episode, I explained the concept of working capital. Working capital is quite simply put, the total current assets minus the total current liabilities. What does that really mean? That is the amount of money you need in the business in order to basically have sufficient cash lying around that you are not unable to pay your bills on time. So that represents an investment. So the example I gave you a couple minutes ago, where I pay my vendors in sixty in thirty days, whatever it might be, and I basically collect in six in six months. That's a five month difference. If I have to pay someone upfront and I'm not going to collect the money for it in a long time, I need enough money on hand to pay them off. Otherwise, they're going to cut me off. So that is an example where I need to make a substantial investment in the business in order just to keep it afloat. Conversely, and I've seen these businesses and they're fantastic and it's rare, but you can have a negative cash conversion business or negative working capital businesses. What do I mean by that? If you conversely take six months to pay a vendor and on the opposite side of that, you basically make all your sales for cash right away. So I sell something, it's I get charged today. It's not going to be delivered for three months. Technically, I don't need any working capital. The, the, the buyer provided that. So working capital represents an investment. So why does that matter? It matters because that investment can either be used for working capital or other needs of the business, or 
personal consumption of the business owners. So what I mean by that is paying it out as dividends or income. So having a healthy amount of working capital is vital because you need it to keep you afloat. But there's ways you can optimize around this. So consider the following. Let's look at each item of the working capital calculation. So cash, you know, cash is what we're trying to maximize here so we can take more of it out or reinvest more of it in our business. So first thing we have is accounts receivable. What are your payment terms? When you Are you cash and carry? If you sell something and collect the money on the spot, then your payment terms are immediate, no problem. But if you're a business that basically sells to vendors and then doesn't collect for 30, 60, 90 days, what are those terms? The longer out your cash collection cycle, the longer, the more money that you are technically lending your buyers. You're basically the credit card for them, right? They are buying something today that they're not going to pay for for a long period of time, so, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. And basically in that time, you're charging them nothing. So this is why oftentimes companies, especially manufacturing, will offer discounts if it's paid within 30 days. Because you being the credit card in this case, you got to finance that somehow, and you're financing that through either your own money or through debt. So there's a cost to it. So the question becomes, how short can you make that cycle? Are you in an industry where you're offering 90-day terms? Well, are your competitors offering 90-day terms? Can you get away with 45? Can you get away with 60? Every reduction in accounts receivable collection times or, or, or collection terms basically reduces the need for working capital in your business. That's the first one. Second one, prepaid expenses, things that you pay in advance for. Now, in some cases, you can't get away from this. What I mean by that, you basically, sometimes like software licenses, you have to pay for them annually. So you're not going to get away from that. But there are plenty of other services where maybe you are on a annual contract. Well, if you had a monthly billing, then basically, instead of paying one lump sum throughout the year, and then slowly eating away that kind of nest egg monthly to, to, to basically pay for expenses, if you match and make your your contributions monthly, that basically reduces the amount of money you need up front to make that initial investment, which conversely reduces your, which in turn reduces your prepaid expenses, which reduces your need for working capital yet again. And then inventory. If you are in a business that maintains inventory, then essentially you have to, of course, manage your inventory well. And this is where retail lives and dies and how well they manage their inventory. Why? Because inventory costs money. Right. And it's just sitting there on your, on your shelf. It's costing you either in terms of lack of return on your equity or in terms of the interest rate on your debt. So the question becomes, how do you manage inventory? If you're like Walmart, who are the masters of this, you basically know exactly when the last moment is that you have to ship something else in order to maintain no inventory. You want the, ideally you want just in time delivery. You want the last item flying off the shelf while the new, while the reshelfing delivery basically arrives. Now that is a impossible for small business owners pretty much. But the reality is, is that you got to be careful with your inventory. If you carry too much, it's just money waiting to be converted that frankly could be in your pocket instead. If you carry too little, you could lose it on sales. There's all kinds of different theories you can read or, or different valuable resources online about how to properly manage inventory. This is highly specific to your industry. So bottom line is here though, the less inventory you carry, the less working capital investment you need, but it has to be sufficient as to not hurt your sales. So that is the accounts receivable side. So the idea being is that if we can reduce your AR, your accounts receivable, basically your current uh, assets and your inventory, you can basically reduce the amount of need for working capital. Now let's consider the current liability side, the other side of the equation. So what is on this side of the equation? So on this side of the equation, you have, of course, your current liabilities. So that includes things like your accounts payable. Your accounts payable. So now basically, if I still with your accounts receivable, where you are the credit card towards your set, your vendors, well, the vendors you buy from, they're your, their credit, they're a credit card to you as well. 
So are you paying cash up front for everything? I've spoken to many businesses who are like, I just pay cash for everything. Well, if your vendor is offering you 30, 60, 90 day terms, you'd be foolish not to take them. Why? Because they're offering you to let, if I said here, borrow this money for free. I'm not charging you anything. Simplest example is you can put that in a bank account or in some basic interest. Not much these days, but you profit for nothing. Well, if you basically use them as a credit card, you don't have to use your credit card or other loan facilities. It And it reduces working capital yet again. So the tips are for this, see how far out you can push your receivable, your payables with your vendors in order to basically stay on side with them. And the longer they extend them to you, the better off you're going to be. The second piece of this is your current liabilities. Now, your your other current liabilities. So things like loan payments. You don't really have a lot of control over these things, quite honestly. So frankly, you know that is not an area that you're going to be able to reduce. Because if you have a loan, you typically have scheduled payments. So it comes down to always negotiating the best possible terms for them. Now, here's where the turnaround is. If there's a lot in the current cycle, well, I mean, maybe there's an argument towards renegotiating the terms of that loan because, frankly, extending the loan for a longer period of time reduces your working capital need. Yes, it stretches the loan over a longer period of time, absolutely, but the reduction in working capital need also basically frees up cash flow for other business operational things and for, well, basically, uh, <laughs> and for basically you taking money out. So. That's the second one. So on the current liability side, like I said, the big sections here are frankly your accounts payable and your debts. There's some other things that go in there, uh, like accrued revenue, but nevertheless, uh, that's really the big part of it. And like I said, here is what it comes down to. If you can reduce, sorry, if you can increase the duration of your payables and turn your short-term liabilities into long-term liabilities, you reduce the need for working capital. You couple that with the reduction in, in current assets other than cash, and you can significantly reduce the amount of cash you need in the business, allowing you, like I said, to either invest that money for growth or turn around at the same and basically issue dividends or give yourself a raise temporarily or bonus. So, because again, this is money that could be used elsewhere. I have seen one of the biggest places I see this is when I go help clients sell their businesses. A lot of times they want to hold on to a lot of working capital to feel comfortable. That's fine. You can. You should hold on to enough cash. And you know, COVID taught us that you know you need cash when when <laughs> you need access to cash when when everything goes wrong. But there's a difference between having cash in the bank and access to capital. So if you have a line of credit you're not using or have access to it, you that reduces your need for working capital because you have a cushion in case of emergency. But I've seen people literally keep three, you know, well, beyond three, six months working worth of working capital in cash. That is a huge investment. That is a huge investment that, frankly, if you go to sell your business, the reality is, is that someone's going to basically say, well, you got to take that money out anyway. So you may as well take it out in the first place. The second piece of it is that if you don't maintain enough working capital, you're going to, when you sell the business, it's going to impair your your valuation. We talked about this in the sale, in the business sale portion of my, uh, or episode of my podcast, but working capital is an asset of the business. Too much of it, you can clear that out. Too little of it, you need to make an investment. But understand it. And what we're going to talk about next time when we get into ratio analysis is we're going to talk about what each of these ratios means. And one of the things we're going to talk about on the cash flow ratios is the cash conversion cycle. That is going to inform you as to how long it takes you to turn sales into cash. And that should in 
in turn, impact how much you keep on working capital. So that was today's second episode. I threw a lot at you. I suggest you recap this with a model uh, income, st- uh, sorry, cash flow statement in front of you and follow along. Take some notes, listen to it again. But this is a kind of Cole's notes of helping you understand that. We're going to drive into the analysis part next week. Stick around. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.